You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we're going to be talking about irregularities of the patient encounter. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Query and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various healthcare and medical legal issues. Welcome to the show, Counselor. Thank you for having me back. Let's talk about some of the irregularities that you see in charting habits that get doctors in trouble. How many pens do you carry in your pocket when you're in the hospital? Well, there's usually about three or four different drug company pens. That's right. It seems that pens go with physician practice. They all have them. You all have a lot of them. And you probably couldn't tell me, as you sit here right now, what the color ink is or the size of the head on the ballpoint pen is on each different pen that you carry. That is correct. And yet I've seen this, believe it or not, come down to be a critical issue in a case of alleged tampering with the medical record. So that would be some doctor who just switches pens midstream. That's right. Let's say that the doctor is out at the nurse's station writing orders and he or she gets a phone call, puts the pen down, and somehow loses the pen and grabs another one out of her pocket. She goes then to record. The first portion of the orders are written in blue, and the next portion where she writes gastroenterology consult colonoscopy recommended is written in black. There will be an expert who comes in at the time of trial to say that that was written in a different color ink and therefore was not written contemporaneously. Now, what if someone puts exactly a timestamp next to that colored ink. It's actually the color of the ink that is going to be more persuasive. The jury is going to see it blowing up in a nice laser color copy for an exhibit, and they're going to see two different colors of ink. The plaintiff's attorney is going to ask the simple question, now who do you believe? This is written in two different colors. It couldn't have been done contemporaneously. It was only written after she knew that this patient had colon cancer. And in fact, the question's going to be posed to the doctor at trial. You wrote this, didn't you? After you found out that the patient was diagnosed with colon cancer a year later, and it really doesn't matter at that point what the answer to the question is. Jim, do you remember when we were in grade school, they had these pens that had a a black, a blue, and a red, and you could click between the three, thinking the doctor's sitting at the nurse's station, he's writing in black, he's clicking his pen nervously, and then he somehow gets to blue and writes again. If he was able to show that pen to the court, would that acquit him? Well, it certainly offers an explanation, but my recommendation is let's not get there. Let's look at these simple little habits and avoid them. Another good example, don't squeeze things into the margin. Don't squeeze in with carrots. Don't write it on the side of a note. When you squeeze things in, when you obliterate When you use different color ink, all of those are going to be red flags for possible alteration of the medical record. So instead of obliterating, what do you recommend? Cross out, simple line through with an error. That's what all the nurses learn. That's what all the physicians learn. But using a Sharpie to blotter something out so that it's completely illegible Mm -hmm. only raises suspicion. What could have been written there? Why don't hospitals come up with a policy where no blue ink allowed in the hospital. 
no random blue pens sitting around so that they don't put a doctor in a precarious situation where he may grab a different colored pen. I don't think that the hospital needs to legislate against the color of ink, but certainly hospitals do have policies regarding approved abbreviations. You have to look out for other things such as ambiguity of positives and negatives. And I'll tell you one other thing that needs to be highlighted in terms of medical charting, and that's the use of empathy and sympathy. Physicians obviously should have empathy and sympathy, but be careful about the way in which it is conveyed to the patient and or family and the way in which it is documented. You know that we as human beings have selective retrieval in our memories. And one of the things that often happens is I'm sorry today gets translated into I'm guilty four years from now. You are listening to Reach MD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. And if you've just joined us, I'm with Jim Bream, attorney and featured speaker on various healthcare and medical legal issues. And we're talking about what not to put in the chart. Let's say that now we're in the computer era and ink is no longer an issue, and everything is being done electronically. What kind of irregular electronic habits are coming to the foray? I think there's a couple of interesting topics that come up with electronic medical record keeping. One is the patient becomes a generic patient. In other words, when nurses or physicians are using electronic record keeping of the type that has drop-down fields and data entry and response to the field, it becomes very generic to the patient. You don't have the situation where you've written out a long progress note anymore, and in two years or three years, when I meet with you after a lawsuit's been filed or to present you for a deposition, it's very difficult for you to remember that specific patient. That's one. Two, be alert to the fact that the electronic medical record today is documenting when it is that you're placing your data entry into the record. It's time-stamped. So what happens in the situation where you may have an encounter with the patient at 7 a.m., but you don't enter that until the next day or until later that night, and the information is never conveyed to the other healthcare providers on the team? That doesn't sound good. And it's difficult to defend because now I have electronically a timestamp on the record proving that it wasn't entered within a sufficient period of time for others to be aware of, let's say, a development with the patient's condition. So in that case, the computer really makes the case for you or against you. It certainly can. What about the cutting and pasting that's used in these EMRs? I think in academic institutions, there's a lot of people seeing the same patient and that history of present illness probably gets carried forward and forward and forward. And I imagine there are people that are not even asking the history anymore and just using someone else's history. And things change over the time frame that they're in the hospital. This really raises two concerns. One is what I call the carryover effect. And two is something that I refer to as the lore of the chart. The carryover effect is where you have a particular answer to a field and that answer pops up the next time you go to do data entry, you're not even prompted to ask the specific question again, and it's already there. And I certainly have seen this with academic institutions where the same patient data is provided. It's only if the physician takes the time to enter a change that something new is there. They just carry over the same old entry. And I think there is a risk there that the physician is not being sufficiently prompted to investigate improvement, 
deterioration, or stability in the patient. Now, the second aspect is the lore of the chart. This is a situation where, for instance, you label a diagnosis without evidence to support it. But because it's there, every practitioner carries it over from one visit to the next. For instance, birth asphyxia. And I can tell you about a case where that was in the medical record, and everybody assumed that the infant suffered from birth asphyxia until the baby started to develop cardiac abnormalities and an echocardiogram led to a genetic workup, and lo and behold, it was found out that there was a chromosomal defect in this baby. I want to move on to something I am extremely passionate about, and that is phone calls and how phone calls can get us into trouble and get us sued. Specifically, a phone call comes in on a weekend for a very simple complaint, such as a sinus infection. The patient is requesting an antibiotic. I don't know the patient, but the patient says, I get this every year, doctor. This is a sinus infection. Please call in my z and everything will be fine. And I say, you know, I don't really feel comfortable with that. I don't like to practice medicine over the phone. I don't know you. I don't know that your diagnosis is correct, and I would like to see you in the office. And the patient says, no, I can't get into the office. And I offer them, you know, to see them in the office the next morning. I tell them we have late hours, and they still want that prescription. I know of no other profession in the world that provides free care over the phone without any sort of payment and runs the risk of getting sued. Do you? Well, I think that this is a situation in which you are placing yourself at risk. Let's say you're the covering physician for the practice, and you haven't seen this patient before, and the patient asks for that sinus medication. You prescribe it without seeing the patient, without asking them any details. You just call it into your local Walgreens or CVS pharmacy, and lo and behold, worst-case scenario, a year later, they come in with a massive tumor that's been diagnosed, and you missed it. You're going to be hit for that. You right. will be in trouble. And the question that's going to be posed to you in the litigation is, why didn't you see the patient? I wanted to. patient didn't want to come in. You didn't have an opportunity to be hands-on with the patient, to evaluate them, to appreciate their history, their complaint, to work them up, to put in that assessment. All of these things that we've been talking about in terms of necessity of charting, you don't have in that situation. Right. Here's where that relationship gets fuzzy, this patient-doctor relationship that used to be a very warm bilateral relationship in the old days where you could do that. But the, the world has changed, yet doctors' habits have not changed, and we still are thinking that we live in this world where we can call stuff in and everything will be fine. I think all doctors need to get together and say, we will not provide phone care anymore. We need to see you. We will see you, or you need to go to the nearest emergency room or acute care center. And patients just do not accept it. And doctors worry they're going to lose their patients if they don't do it. And so they take the path of least resistance and comply. Again, it's going to come and bite us in the butt one day. And, of course, you're talking about a situation that's going to be on popular with your patients because they don't want that extra 10 or $20 copay. To... Right. That's what they want to avoid, $20. They, would, they want to risk their life over $20. Jim, I'm curious how many of your clients call you up and say, Jim, I just need a rewriting of my will. It's in your files. Can you just please rewrite it for me? I need it in the morning. And thank you very much. I'm not paying you for that. Well, I can't say that many call me with that particular question, 
but unfortunately I do get calls all the time with, here's our situation, it's happening right now, what do we do? I think like you, my response typically is, I need to make sure that I have all of the information I need, and if I can't provide an answer on the spot, I need to do the research, the legal research, and have sufficient facts in order to provide the answer. And I think that's where we have a commonality in terms of what we're talking about. You don't want to make a judgment without having the factual basis to make it. I would love for you to print up that last paragraph you just said, give it to every physician so that they can read that to the patient on the phone and say, this is why I'm not giving you your prescription. You know, for a slight charge, I'm sure that we could work that out. (laughs) Jim, as always, it was a pleasure having you on the show today, helping us try to avoid malpractice claims in the future. Our guest has been Jim Bream. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.